Hello, I'm Luann and I am a grateful member of the Al-Anon program. Hi. Um, I gotta tell you, I'm really nervous. This is the, the first time I've spoken in front of any amount of people, but you know what, I gotta tell you, your beautiful faces are giving me such peace. Thank you very much. Um, I will qualify myself. Uh, I walked into the Al-Anon program with um, an alcoholic on my shoulder. Um, the man was weighing me down because I thought I could fix him. I just really thought I could fix him. And um, I tried everything I could to make that work. And it just didn't. It, it just didn't work. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that happened before that. What I would like to do is start with a reading because that's what I do whenever I um, chair a meeting. I start with something that really um, God has spoken to me um, for whatever particular day, whatever issue I'm dealing with, and I find a page in our literature and it gives me peace. Um, so I'm gonna read something from June 2nd, and that date is, um, is very important to me for this, and I'll let you know why in a little bit. June 2nd, and it's from Courage to Change, which is a daily reader of the Al-Anon program. <laughs> One gift of being a longtime Al-Anon member is that I have accumulated a large supply of healthy, positive experiences which remind me that my higher power is worthy of my trust. Although I have faced many challenges and difficulties over the years, my higher power has never let me down. This hasn't prevented me from having problems. If that had been the case, I would have missed out on life-changing lessons I might not have learned any other way. Instead, I was given challenges and opportunities, but never more than I could handle. Even when I feared that my circumstances were too much for me, help, guidance, and comfort were always there. And I tell you why I read this, because um, when I was asked to do this, I was asked to do this in December. Thank you very much, Peggy. And um, in December, it was a trip to Oregon. That was all it was. And um, I was coming to Oregon. And so I put it out of my mind. I did my life. And, you know, here it is. Well, I don't know. Um, May 3rd, 4th, 10th, 15th. You know, the month goes on. And then I look at a calendar and, oh my goodness, it's almost here. And so I sat down at my computer. And that was after I Googled how to do a speech in front of all these people. <laughs> and it told me to be prepared and know my content. And so that's what I planned on doing. I sat at my computer and I thought, okay, where do I start? Well, I guess I start at the beginning, right? Which is my heritage. So I put heritage in bold letters on the word processing thing. And I started writing about you know, my parents and all this stuff. Then I went to my childhood and then I went to my teens and my 20s and hadn't even gotten to the alcoholic yet. And, <laughs> and I stopped and I read it and I thought, oh my goodness, I don't even like what I'm reading. If I do this, all, everybody's gonna fall asleep. So I walked away from it and that's when my growth began. Um, I walked away from it, I sat in my favorite chair, and I put my feet up, and I said, God help me. I um, walked in with a God of my understanding, and he is still the God that I go to today. Um, I, I grew up Catholic. Um, and I'm grateful that I grew up Catholic. It, it, you know, I hear in the rooms that a lot of people um, have issues with Catholicism or whatever they grew up with. Um, I don't know why I don't, but I don't. My mother used to tell me, God works in mysterious ways. 
And I never understood that. I never understood what that meant. But you know, because my mother said it, I think I trusted it. And um, so I just went with it. And I would hear every once in a while, God works in mysterious ways. And um, it wasn't until I walked into these rooms that I really, really understood what that meant. Um, I have had miracles in this program that are, to me, amazing. To you, probably not so much, you know, because I see the little things in my life that God works for me. And, um, you know, that's why I keep coming back. That's why I keep coming back, because of the miracles that I see every day. Um, about my heritage, my parents were married in 1942, right after they were married in a little church in Dunsmuir, California. And right after that, my father went to World War II. And um, he came back four years later. They had their family. Um, you know, life goes on. I believe that um, by the time I came around, in 1957, my parents were tired, um, and I didn't make it any easier for them. Um, you know, I, um, I was the youngest of four, um, and, you know, it, it was hard for them. Life was hard for them. They, my dad built the house I grew up in with his own hands, and um, he was proud of that house. He was very proud of that house. Um, it was just a small little house that was big enough for all of us. Um, but for some reason, as I started to grow, I saw my mom not be so happy. And I wasn't sure what that meant. I wasn't sure why she wasn't happy, but I took it on. I believed it was because of me. It was because of what I did. Some, whatever was happening at the moment was the reason she wasn't happy. Um, she is kind of here today, um, but can't tell me, she can't tell me her story today. Um, but today I know that it probably wasn't about me. You know, I, I know that I didn't make things easy as, um, as I started to grow and I started to get into school, I wasn't a great student. And I remember hearing from one of my parents through the years, why can't you be better than your sister? Why can't you be like your sister? Look, she studies. Look, she gets A's. Look, she's going to a Catholic high school. Look at this. Look at that. And you can't, you're not smart enough to go to a Catholic high school. And, you know, all of those things I heard. I, I believed and I built that into my life. So I just went on and I went on to, to grammar school and then on to high school and I started playing and I was playing hard. Um, there was never enough money for sports so I found my own entertainment. And usually that was with the bad boys and girls in school and I tell you, I played. I, um, I could party with the best of them in high school, and believe me, I did. I, I felt like um, I could because I, I never had to be accountable to my parents. I think I was smart enough to, to lie enough to tell them that I was doing something else, and they believed me. So. I just, I just partied, and I partied through all of my high school years. Um, in my senior um, yearbook, the subtitle underneath my name says burnout. And you know what? I was proud of that. I was really proud of that. We had, there was a clique in high school that I, that I was, and we all decided that we were going to put B names, and I don't know why, but B names under, under our names, and burnout was mine, and that was a great name for mine. Everybody agreed. It was great. So I um, graduated from high school, 
my sister signed me up for my first semester in um, the community college in San Jose. And I went and I had fun. I had fun. I think I lasted a year. And um, I, I continued to go out there. And then my 20s started. And I was, um, I was having fun. I was, you know, partying and just doing all kinds of things. Um, I think it was about, I was about 25 when I was at a party that my boyfriend was throwing and um, there, was, there was somebody who was there and he paid a lot of attention to me. He paid a lot more attention to me than my boyfriend was paying at the time and we danced all night and we had a lot of fun and um, you know, I started going out and I started um, playing with him and we were having a good time. We were having a real good time. And that's what I realized today is that, you know, in, in Al-Anon I hear, first it's fun, then it's fun with problems, and then it's only problems. Well, this was really fun. And, um, you know, then I realized that he drank and he drank and he drank and he did drugs and he did all of that stuff. So my head told me if I was to stick around, if I was to um, continue to keep this person in my life, which I could not imagine living alone, um, I was gonna have to join them. And I did. And so I did all the drugs and I did all the drinking and I did all of that stuff. But then um, it wasn't fun anymore, and I didn't understand why he couldn't quit when I wanted him to quit. Why, when I said it was enough, that he just couldn't do it. And, and I kept fighting with him, and I kept saying, stop, the, can't you see what this is doing to me? And, and he just didn't really care. You know, he just didn't really care, and I didn't understand that either. So I kept fighting. We must, have, we must have gone through this phase of our relationship for five years. And um, yeah, sometimes it was fun. Most of the time, I was tired because I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. But I didn't know a way out. I just did not know a way out. So I continued to follow him and there was a point in our life where his brother came to our house and he said he had a conversation with my boyfriend and then he came to me and he said you know I just talked to him and I told him that you know there's a place he can go there's a place he can go, and it, it is a better place. I, I'm living it today, and um, I will help him. And he also said, and there's a place for you. And my reaction to that was, I don't need a place. I don't need a place. You know, if he would only get sober, I would be fine. And he, he said, okay, but why don't you try it? Nah, not now. I don't think I need it. It's, it's his problem. It's not my problem. What I didn't know was that I was so trying to control his drinking that it was making me sick. And um, so I just kept, kept doing what I was doing, and we kept doing what we were doing. And, and then there was a point where someone brought him to uh, rehab. It was, I believe... It was an uh, um, outpatient facility. And I remember going with him, and I remember talking to this woman. And again, there's a place for you. And you know what? There isn't. There isn't, because I don't need one. I don't need one. He needs a place, but I don't need a place. And, and you know, nobody could get through to me. So he, at one point, goes to an AA meeting, and I'm anxiously waiting for him to come home, anxiously waiting for him to come home. He doesn't even make it in the door. When I get in his truck with him, when he pulls in the driveway, how was it? How was it? 
And he says it was okay. Gets out of the car, goes to the refrigerator, and he pulls out a beer. And I looked at him and I said, what? And he said, well, they said I could drink every once in a while. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, that just doesn't seem right to me, but okay. And so the beat goes on, right? The beat goes on. And then not too long after that, he goes to another meeting and he comes home. This might have been his, I don't know, it's not my story, but I remember it to be maybe his third or fourth meeting because you know what, I was counting. I was counting because I needed him to get sober so my life would be better. And um, he walks in the door and he sits down and he says, I'm recovered now. And we will not have a relationship until you walk, unless you walk into the rooms of Al-Anon. I ran into my first meeting. I didn't run for me. I ran for him because I could not see myself, um, I could not see myself living without him. He was all I had. He was all I had. And um, so I walked into my first meeting and I remember it to be dark. Um, it was a Saturday night, and I don't remember what time, but I remember it to be kind of dark. And to be honest with you, I don't know if that was the space I was in or if the facility was actually dark. I can tell you that it was a candlelight meeting. Uh, because I wanted to be careful not to, you know, because my hands go all over the place sometimes. And I wanted to be careful not to, you know, burn the place down. <laughs> so um, it goes on. The, the meeting goes on, and I'm sitting in the back of the room, and, you know, people are talking, and you know what I'm hearing? Blah, 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 blah. But what I did hear was, okay, if there's any newcomers in the room, please, um, this is your time to speak. My hand goes way up. And they said, okay, what's your name? And I told them, and I said, my boyfriend just started the program, but I know he's going to drink again, and I want you to tell me how to make him stop. <laughs> because you were my last chance, right? And... Um, they just kind of laughed, just like you did, and told me to keep coming back. And you know what? I kept coming back um, because I wanted to save that relationship. That relationship didn't last, I don't know, um, maybe another year or two. Um, because what happens for me in this program was once I realized that this program was for me, and that there, there was growth to be had for me, I started really working the program and I really started understanding that um, I needed to take care of me. There, at this point in my life, there was no space to take care of him anymore. Um, I realized that all of the other women that he was seeing, I, I realized that that was going on through day one. Um, I realized that the drinking finally was not about me because I heard it. If, if you would just stop doing what you're doing and stop nagging and stop, stop, I would be okay. And I realized that, you know what, I don't have that kind of power. I just don't have that kind of power anymore. So there was probably maybe six months that I started realizing that this program was for me and that it was not for the alcoholics in my life. And I started really understanding that um, there was a God um, who works in mysterious ways. And that God is my higher power today. 
Um, I have seen so many, many miracles in my life since, since that day, since I really decided to, to work this program for myself. Um, you know, I, um, it wasn't too long, maybe six or eight months into the program where I brought, I just delved myself into service. And I was a secretary of a meeting and, um, and I was sitting at the front of the room, I believe it was a podium like this, but it was a tall chair and I could see everybody walking in the room. And um, this person walks in the room and I tell you, I really liked what I saw. And um, he walks in and he takes a seat and I liked what I saw and I didn't know who he was, I had never seen him before. And um, I listened to what he said. I actually listened this time to what he said. He was a newcomer. And um, so, oh, I don't know, about two or three meetings in, I had a work function and I wanted a date. So I asked him to go on this date with me. It was, it, he, had, he had never approached me. I don't know, maybe we had talked uh, a few times before. Uh, probably. But anyway, um, I asked him to go on this date, and he says, no, he has a prior commitment. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to ask anymore, you know, because I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to, you know, beg anybody anymore for, you know, to be with me because I know how that ends. And so, you know, I said, okay. And 26 years later, he is, he's been my husband. <laughs> and um, I have to tell you also that I never used to say in my chair that he, that he told me he had a prior commitment, and he really likes it when I say that. <laughs> he too is an Al-Anon. Um, you know, we have gone through so many things together. Um, in, in the 26, 27 years that we have been together. Um, we married in front of all of our al friends and our special friends in our life. Um, it was a very special day. And I'll tell you why it was so special for me. Because I know that it there was nothing superficial about this love. You know, that, that I believe that God put us together for some reason. Today, I am kind of grateful that the alcoholic brought, got me here. Um, I, I got to tell you that our life, my, the alcoholic and, and my life together, got so tumultuous that there were many years in this program that I said, you know, I don't know where he is. I don't care where he is. I just, you know, I'm glad he's gone. Today, I can tell you that I am a grateful member of Al-Anon, and if it wasn't for him, I would not be here. Um, you know, we, we got married, as I said, on May 15th, 1993. And the day before that, that day, I was um, in my mother's house, because you know you don't sleep together the night before the wedding, right? So I spent that night over um, at my mother's house, and um, I wrote in my journal to be present because there were so many, so many times that I was not present for my life. And I have read so, and I have seen so many brides forget about the date. And my husband is the first man that I can tell you I didn't plan my wedding on our first date. He, you know, there, every other man before him, I planned, I planned our wedding on our first date. And um, he's the only one I ever married, so I think that's progress. Um, you know, for me to be present today is a huge gift of this program. Um, because 
I don't get to, I don't have to lose my days anymore. I don't have to lose my hours or my minutes. You know, I can I can recognize the miracles in my life today. I believe that that my husband walking through that door that fateful day at 8:15 that evening was a miracle in my life. I truly, you know, when we were planning our wedding, it was time to pick out the invitations. And we, it was a time where you could still go through those big old books and go through every invitation. And that's what we did. And I stopped at the one that said, because of, the, because of God's will, these two have chosen to be together. And it is because I truly have um, given up my will to my higher power today, and it's all because of this program. You know, I've had, um, I think I'm on my third sponsor today. The first one moved away, and I did my first fifth step with her, and boy, was she loving, so, so loving, and, and, I, and she was what I needed. She, she, uh, I was told in this program to pick somebody who you feel can, can, you know, you can work this program with. I needed somebody loving at the time. I needed somebody to tell me that I was okay. You know, that, that, that what I did wasn't terrible because my, my self-esteem when I walked in this program was just in the toilet. I don't know how to say it any other way. I, I, I just didn't believe that I had anything good to share. And so I picked my sponsor, her name was Anne. I think of her often. And um, she was just the person that I needed for the time, for the time. And then um, I, I grew with her, she moves away, and now I'm stuck without a sponsor, right? So what do I do? I do what everybody tells me to do. Just keep coming back and keep going to meetings and, and that person is gonna show up. I was at a meeting one Saturday morning and I heard this person share and she was like 30 years older than me. And I heard this person share and I went up to her after the meeting. She had never seen me before in her life and I asked her to sponsor me. And um, she said, yes, dear, I will. And for 21 years, we went through the Al-Anon program together. Um, you know, we worked the steps again. I grew so much more with her. Um, because I was open, you know, through, through all of the meetings I go through, through all of the friends I have, through everything I meet, everyone I meet, I grow in this program. So, you know, 21 years we were together. Um, she took care of my son for the first five years of her life, once, of his life, once a week. Um, I would drop him off and I would pick him up. And I am so, so grateful for that because he's got a piece of her in, um, in his life today. Um, she died three and a half years ago, and I was devastated. I was totally devastated. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I knew to come back, but I knew to sit in my grief. And I sat there and I sat there and I sat there until I didn't have to grieve anymore. Until I realized that it was time to move on. And I've got to tell you that I talk to dead people. And <laughs> she told me, honey, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And when I heard that that day, I was one, one more time impulsively picked a woman in my life um, to sponsor me. And she is who is sponsoring me today. And I am growing again. You know, it's, it's just amazing who God puts in my life to do life, you know? Um, I talked about the miracles in this program. 
uh, about a year after my husband and I were married, we decided it was time to, um, to you know, have a baby. I didn't think that I was, you know, 35 and old. I just thought it was time to have a baby. And it took us um, four years of infertility. And through those four years, we did it with the Al-Anon program. We did it with our sponsors and the people who love us. And, um, you know, I grew so, so much through, through that process because I was open. I was open to hearing and I was open to learning what everybody has to tell me, you know, about how to do this sanely. Um, and and I, I, I talked and I talked and there were points where I cried and I cried and why is she getting pregnant and I'm not? That's not fair. It should be me. And um, I went through all of this stuff, I, I was doing a fourth step, and I realized that something came up for me. And I was actually talking to someone I sponsored and on the phone, and I was telling her what I was going through. And she said to me, you got to talk to somebody about this. And so I talked to my husband, and we decided to visit the priest that married us, who was no longer a priest, by the way, but I grew up with him. And um, so he invited us into our house, into his house, and we talked for hours. And I believe I did a fifth step with him. And he, again, God put who I needed in my life at the moment. And he told me, I don't think anybody ever told you you didn't do anything wrong. This is a priest telling me. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. But since I had known him since I was six years old, I trusted him. That's what I learned to do in this program. I learned to trust. And um, so I w we went home and we continued. We continued the process the process of the shots and the process of the drugs and all of that stuff. And uh, four years after we started, um, we, went to a, I, we went to our doctor and it was time to harvest. And um, the doctor said, you know, I, I just can't do this because there's just not enough. There's just not enough. And I did. I took a breath. And my husband is like, well, what do we do next? What do we do next? And he said, go home and plan on being child free. And, you know, I accepted that. I accepted that. And um, my husband, I don't know if he accepted that. But that's what we had to do because there was nothing else we could do as far as the medical doctors were concerned. So I go home and I start taking my body back and I start living my life again and it's again about me. It's no longer about something or someone else, you know, because I was so focused on getting pregnant that I lost a bit of myself, you know. And so um, there was, there was a point I was doing jazzercise at the time with um, my, one of my best friends who, I, who was my first friend in Al-Anon. And she is still a wonderful friend for me today. And we were doing jazzercise together. And after the class, she said, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I think I'm just going to go home and spend time with my husband. And I believe I conceived that night. And um, it, was, it was wonderful because one more time, we did it together. You know, it wasn't I want this and I want this. It was a combination of the two of us doing something together, and that's what we learn in Al-Anon. I believe that Al-Anon is, uh, 
is uh, recovery of relationships. I didn't know how to do relationships when I walked in. I, I just knew that I wanted to get him sober and that was gonna fix my relationship. Today it's different. Um, I have people around me who love me today um, and that's who, I, that's who I keep around me. Most of my friends are in this program. Um, I do have some very special friends that are outside of this program, but you know what? I know that they love me today. I know that um, we speak the same language. Um, up until probably a week ago, they didn't know I was in Al-Anon. Well, one of them did. But the other one didn't know I was in Al-Anon. And I tell you, I spent five days a week with her, about an hour, hour and a half a day, walking, walking our dogs and you know, just talking. And because it's an anonymous program. But knowing that I was coming here and knowing that I needed the support of those who loved me, I decided to, to tell both of them. And um, it's, it, the support I got from them was just as strong as the support I got from my friends in Al-Anon because I choose the people in, in my life today who love me, you know? Um, I don't have a whole lot of time for people who don't. And, and I get a vibe every once in a while of um, who I need to be with and who I don't. You know, um, you know, there's so, so many miracles in this program. My son today is 21. Um, he just turned 21 last month sometime, and um, it's his journey. He is on a journey today, and I do not know where that journey is going to take him, but I, I've got to believe a few things. I've got to believe that because my husband and I have been working this program for as many years as we have been working it, that hopefully some of it has seeped in. Um, and I and I do believe today that he has a power greater than himself, and it is not me. Um, he's a he's a great kid. He's a great kid. My father-in-law spent 38 years in the Alcoholics Anonymous program, and um, I miss him dearly today. His his funeral was a couple of years ago, and my son was the only. Um, Paul Bear, that was not a, sponsor, a sponsee of my father-in-law. And um, he heard stories, right? He heard stories from you. And he told his dad after, after the funeral, he said, you know, I think I'm an alcoholic. And my husband says, okay, what makes you think so? And he said, well, um, because when I drink, I can't stop. But when I don't drink, you know, I don't have to start. And so my husband just said, you know, there's, there's a place you can go. You know there's a place you can go. You heard it. And I'm happy to make a phone call for you. My husband made one phone call. My kid went to, I don't know, um, two weeks of meetings and then blew the guy off, you know, the seed has been planted. The seed has been planted and it's, it's not for anybody else to, to tell him where he needs to go. Because if I tell him that he needs to go to Alcoholics Anonymous because he came home drunk one night, and to be honest with you, I don't see it a lot, he, he might go, but he'd be going for me and not, and not himself. And I know today that um, we need to work this program for ourselves. Um, my son is definitely a miracle in, in my life. You know, not only 21 years ago, but today as well, because he, um, he certainly allows me to work my program. <laughs> he certainly allows me to work my program, and I do. You know, I know today that, that 
I have the 12 steps that I can recognize my powerlessness when he wants to be so powerful. I recognize today that I don't have to get crazy mad anymore like I used to, you know, like my mother used to. I don't have to do that because the second step tells me that if there's a God in my life, I will, I can stay sane. That I, I know today that I have a part in that, that I have to work this program, but I know that if I just one more time recognize that I have a higher power in my life, I, I don't have to get crazy. I can stop and I can listen and I can nod my head. And I can just say, okay, you know, go for it. You know, I don't like some of the decisions he makes. I don't like some of the girls he brings home. But it's not about me. This is about his journey, and I want to keep it there. Because you know what? If I get into his space, I get crazy. And I don't need that today. I don't need that today because I remember where I went when I went, when I got crazy. You know, the third step for me and the 11th step for me is the, um, probably the most important. Um, whether I need, whether I, I have an issue in my life or not, I know that there's a power greater than myself that can just do my day. You know, that, that can, I can just get up in the morning and I can do whatever I need to do. I can, I can put one foot in front of the other today without stumbling. Well, sometimes. Um, you know, I, I think for me, I group the, the steps I, in, in groups. The first three steps is something that I do every morning before I put my feet on the floor. Um, I ask God to take to to let me be powerless over all people, places, and things in my life. I ask for sanity, and I ask for Him to stay, to stay in my life, to to just um, be there for me. And then I go on with my day, and I forget. But there's a light bulb that shows up, that tells me that he's in my life and all I have to do is grab it and turn it on. The fourth and fifth step for me is so much growth and I don't have to do big ones anymore. You know, I can do a fourth step and a fifth step whenever I have issues. I can call up my sponsor, do you have some time? Can you talk on the phone? You know, do you have a minute? And I can, I can share what's going on with me and where I'm crazy and what I'm doing because of it. And I can look at that fifth, that fifth step and I can share it and I can breathe one more time. And then I can go to the sixth and the seventh step and I can, and I can be humble. And I can ask God just to tell me where my character defects are, you know? Um, sometimes I believe that I don't even have to define them, that, that my higher power knows where my character defects lie, and all he has to do is show me, and boy, I tell you, he does. He does show me every once in a while, and then I get to give it up. Then I get to give it up, and I know where to go to give it up. Um, and, and, you know, thank God again for sponsorship and for friendships in this program because that's where I can give it up. That's where I can voice it and say I am giving it up to God. I don't need this anymore and it might come back and I can say take it again. I, you know, I'm only human. I believe that I am only human today and that the reason I'm on this earth is to make mistakes and to, to have God remove them. You know, um, one, of my, one of my favorite sayings in the Al-Anon program in, in the As We Understood book is if God has, if, if God has, if my problems have led me to God, they have served its purpose. That's what it is. And, and that's what I believe today, you know, because problems always show up. 
problems always show up. Um, I had a job up until February, and I thought I was going to retire there. I, you know, my boss was telling me probably two weeks before it ha before I was laid off that she had been looking for me for three and a half years and didn't even know it. And then we get a we get a phone call. It's a mass layoff, and I'm part of it. And I was shocked, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, but what I knew was that, this, that my higher power probably had something to do with this. And I, um, I was able to grieve it, and I was able to give it to my higher power and, and just sit with it. You know, just sit with the feelings of inadequacy and sit with the feelings of what do I do now? You know, what do I do at 7 o'clock in the morning when I don't have a computer to sit at anymore? What, what, what do I do? And I sat with it, and I sat with it, and I sat with it, and then I sent my husband to work. And I, you know, it was really good for me. Just, just to be. Uh, I um, really had time to up my program. I went to a whole lot more meetings than I had time for. Uh, the programs, the Al-Anon program in Silicon Valley is really, really strong. And the daytime meetings, for me, are really strong because that's where all the retired women go and all of the retired men go. And, and to me, that's where a lot of the, um, the recovery is. And so I took advantage of going to those daytime meetings. And I was going to four and five a, we a week. And um, life was good because one more time, got up my program. I was able to understand just a little bit more about who I was. And um, I did enjoy being off work. I, um, I felt myself digress and just relax and, and think about not feeling guilty when I was sitting in my favorite chair with my dog. You know, um, because I did. I I I felt guilty for not working. I'm not a great housekeeper, and I'm still not a great housekeeper. But I learned. You know, I learned that this program teaches me to put one foot in front of the other. So instead of having our housekeeper do everything like she was doing. I can dust. I can, you know, I can do a lot of things. I can clean a microwave. I can, I can do a lot of things. And so that's what I started doing. I started putting one foot in front of the other. And um, I was collecting unemployment, and I don't know what it is like here, but to, to collect unemployment in California, you need to look for a job. And so I was talking to somebody and said, yeah, the trick is to look for a job you don't want. So, so that's what I started doing, right? And um, life was good. Life was good. And I was collecting these checks, and all of a sudden, something comes up on the computer. And I liked what I saw. And so I applied for it. And um, two days later, I'm hired. And you know what? I totally believe that that job was sent to me from my higher power. I, I am a crossing guard manager. Did you even know that was a thing? I didn't even know that was a thing, right? And I just, I love it. I just love it. I'm off in the summer. I'm off at Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, all this stuff. And I'm respected, not only by the crossing guards, but also by my boss, you know, and I feel like I'm doing something really good for the community. If, if a crossing guard isn't at an intersection, I have to cross. And I tell you, that's, that's been a big part of my recovery because, you know, the, the pedestrians are not the problem. 
It's the drivers. It's the drivers. And they want to yell when they can't go through an intersection. And at one point, I just looked back at one and said, you know, who's the boss here? You are the one with the crossing the stop sign. You know, it's, it, I, I learned to do things differently today. I learned that I have a voice, but I don't have to use it in a mean way. The, the reading today was about sarcasm. And I don't have to be sarcastic today. You know, I, I can just do my life. I can use my voice. And I can say it nicely. I don't know if who's the boss was really nice. But it's what came out of my head, you know, in my mouth. And um, there were no repercussions. So I'm grateful for that. You know, life is, um, life is good today. Life is really good today, and it's because I have this program. I'm going to close with um, one more reading. And it is July 20th. In the past, joy was a rare visitor to many of us. Eleanor recovery often leads us to find it more frequently. But instead of sitting back and enjoying those pleasant moments, we tend to cling desperately to happiness, trying to freeze time and hold change at bay, as if our joy will be snatched away forever the moment our guard is down. We can become too busy today avoiding change and enjoy the gifts we fear to lose. By clutching at what we most want to keep, we lose it all the more rapidly. Change is inevitable. We can depend on that. When we become willing to accept change, we make room for a loving God. By letting go of our efforts to influence the future, we become freer to experience the present, to feel all of our feelings while they are happening, and to more fully enjoy those precious moments of joy with which we are blessed. Today, I will try to open myself to receive the abundance God holds out to me by experiencing what is and allowing God to decide what will be. Today, I do not have to wait for the next shoe to drop. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak.